There's something really curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain nominal. Nominal, nominal, Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. Yes, I know, there's a big gap in the podosphere because we didn't put anything out in January. Well, things have been a bit hectic in the, uh, shall we say, the Buckinghamshire studios. And it's been uh, a bit hectic for UK astronomy as well, so there wasn't a sky guide to go out last month. So we're making up for it this month, and if I fade up this fader here we should have ross hockham from uk astronomy on the line how are you doing sir oh i didn't realize you faded me how rude <laughs> chatting away i was to myself <laughs> <laughs> all good i'm back i'm back january is a bit mad it's our 10 year anniversary for uk astronomy so we've had tons to plan it's been absolutely mental we're trying to do stuff all through this year even more than we usually do as you know that's usually quite a lot anyway so yeah and as you know it's also tgp nominals 10th anniversary in october so we want to try and do something together for that if we can yeah we do because ours is november so it's perfect timing we'll find something in the middle because we launched our first ever episode of tgp nominal in conjunction with world space week perfect timing so we got the prominent amount of listeners that we could probably get at that point and that's why we celebrate our anniversary each year during world space week and we put out a world space week podcast if we can i don't think i have a special date for mine i think it's just the day i created a facebook group <laughs> and called it uk astronomy and that's how it started maybe i had my first talk in the hall with 12 people I can't really remember that. It was a long time ago. It was a bit better than the one before where it was pretty much you, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the last four before that was just me on my own in a wet field because <laughs> it was raining. So you didn't see too much either? Sadly not, but luckily because the local pavilion's there, it was on a Friday and they were open. So I was warm and they had beer so I could have <laughs> one beer because I was driving. Well, that, that makes up for it. <laughs> So you say that you've been a bit busy in January. I know you went up north, as they say, to a special place for a special event. We did, yeah. Up north. Where does where does the north start? Because it was Hadrian's Wall. I literally walked along Hadrian's Wall. I don't know if that classes as the border or whatever. <laughs> I don't really know. The furthest I've gone is like Birmingham. So to go up to Northampton, sorry, not Northampton, Northumberland, that's a lot further, not Northampton. <laughs> <laughs> As some people that say if you go past the Watford Gap, that's north. Yeah, so, well, I was, a, I was a Surrey boy, so anything north of London was north to me. <laughs> London was like, oh, going up to London. But yeah, Northumberland's a good four and a half, no, probably more like five hour drive. And the spacecraft, the van, but I made the uh, the wise decision to leave at about one in the morning and get there for about six, half six, seven. Luckily, just as the pub opened for breakfast. Perfect timing. So we got there, said hello, had breakfast, went to bed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, when we say the, the pub, we are talking about twice brewed, aren't we? We are, Twice yeah. brewed in. Although I love my local, the Talbot, which I have done events for, twice brewed to me now is the pub, because it has a built-in... <laughs> 
planetarium and uh, stargazer. He's actually got a whole shed full of about 20-something telescopes now. So wow. I'm jealous because I, I used to have the most, but now I've been there. They're all the big sort of like 8, 10-inch Dobsonians as well, all in there for people to use. And I was like, this is cool. So yeah, Twice Brewed, and it's called Twice Brewed Stargazing. Same place, but kind of separate companies or entities, but work together really well. And the, the twice brewed stargazing is the the baby of our friend Will Chung. Yeah, the Aurora Chaser. Or uh, Will Photography, as he likes to be called. <laughs> yeah, got to plug his website. <laughs> <laughs> Up there is the, uh, the famous, or the even more famous now, Sycamore Gap, where if you've seen Will's pictures of that area, it is stunning. Pretty much two hills with Hadrian's Wall going down into a valley and there was a wonderful sycamore tree right there that was iconic wasn't it he'd, he'd done aurora shots with it he'd done night sky milky way and then sadly someone cut it down and uh yeah sadly it's not there anymore so i had to go and visit even though it wasn't there i felt i had to walk along hadrian's wall and look at where it was and the stump's still there and apparently it's still alive so it's gonna grow yeah apparently it's sprouting so fingers crossed give it 100 years grandkids can go and get nice pictures again didn't somebody make an outline out of drones yeah i saw that as well to make it look like the the shape of a sycamore tree uh in the gap where the tree once stood yeah and took a picture of it yeah I, it looked amazing I don't, know, I don't know where i saw that it was on facebook i'm sure it was on facebook i saw it might have been a link from wills or something like that because i was saying to will like i think he's he, he sold loads of uh calendars that's right he did yeah and it became a nightmare for him because he bless him he was the one who had to literally package them all send them all off by himself so he was literally sat there surrounded by thousands of his own calendars and i think now by the end of it he hates them <laughs> bless him but he raised so much money and he didn't take a penny for it and i said to him they should get like a you know like how they do with the world war soldiers sort of metal cutouts don't they mm. have them about maybe do something like that have it there or don't know well as you know it's not my area so <laughs> I don't have any say. They will have some sort of memorial thing for it, I would imagine. Yeah, I hope so. It is sad because, you know, going to the gap now, it is just a gap. It sounds bad, but it's still there. It's still iconic. And while I was there, there was loads of other people going and visiting and walking up to it and stuff like that as well. So I still think they're going to get tourists to that area to now go and see. In a way, it's probably made it a little bit more famous because it was in the news for a while, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, it was October because I was, doing, I was doing my training to be a leading firefighter in Morton and I saw it on the telly there. <laughs> I was like, oh, what? There's the tree. It was a lovely trip up there. I think we stayed like three nights. We were going to stay another night. So we meant to stay the Saturday night as well. But the weather turned and uh, it was, there was a storm coming. So we thought, do we want to be in the van, snowed in? And I had worked the next couple of days. <laughs> I had to get back to London for, so we decided to head out again that night, Saturday night. But it, it was awesome. There was a special event on there, wasn't there? Yeah, it was a Dark Sky Festival. So I didn't know this when we booked to go and see Will. He kept it kind of quiet. <laughs> and then suddenly, the date we just happened to have chosen together was when this Dark Sky Festival was happening. So he had uh, a couple of nights where it's just the normal sort of stargazing that he does, where he takes people out. He does a talk to them about how you can see the Aurora and Twice Brood and all those sorts of things. And then you go out and actually use all the telescopes and he takes you around the sky for an hour seeing all the cool stuff that's out there. Sadly, the night I chose, there was a near full moon. <laughs> so being the astronomer that I am, and you know, I know the sky. Yeah, well done, Ross. Drive all the way out there for the full moon. So I've told him I have to go back. 
And then, yeah, the Saturday, he did a festival for the day. So I believe it was two till five or two till six, something like that. And he only managed to advertise it, I think, the beginning of January. So he tried to get it out there for people. And at first, he didn't think many people were turning up. He thought there might be eight or ten people. Yeah, 180. Wow. So Will kind of like bowled in a little bit late, bless him. He kind of like, because he wasn't expecting people to be there straight away. So he was like, oh, you know, he's really busy. He's always up late at night. So he probably had a lion. Came in to join us and he was like, what's going on? And I was like, well, there's 50 people in there. <laughs> there's another 30 in the planetarium. So I jumped in the planetarium and did a show in there. We had Neil from Ghost Stargaze in there as well. Uh, we had a guy who builds uh, the actual real telescopes. He actually did a talk about you know, the huge, ridiculous, super giant telescopes, which is what they're generally called nowadays, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> and how you can make them and what new ones are coming in the future and stuff like that. So it was really cool. And literally, we did not stop. I did a talk, turn around, there's another 50 people. Did a talk, turn around, there's another 50 people waiting. So they're in the pub, they were listening to Will's talks, Neil's talks, and then go stargazing. And then in the planetarium with me, in the pub... <laughs> Frankie bless her she was out in the car park doing like car park duties parking cars making sure people weren't getting hit moving them about and she thought she was just going to be sitting and chilling <laughs> and I was like oh no this is what happens when you get three or four entities come together UK astronomy ghost stargazing twice brood stargazing it's mad it was a really fun day and they, they really enjoyed themselves public. They they absolutely loved it. And we got some really, really good feedback. And then blessing Will at the end, he said, uh, right, there's two more lots to go in the planetarium, but we're going to give Ross a break. So he put on a couple of really cool videos instead for them to watch so that I could sit down and have a glass of water. <laughs> but yeah, it was a top effort. I mean, all of us absolutely worked to the point of like, we need a beer. And then the sad thing is, it was the Saturday. We were all going to sit down and have a drink together. I obviously couldn't because the weather turned. So I had, <laughs> I think, a shandy with them all. Said, thanks very much. Sadly, I can't stay. I've got to go now and drive five hours back to London or Milton Keynes. I really need to get up there and do some bits for the podcast, I think. Oh, massively. Massively. We're, uh, I was going to go up for August, the Perseids, but sadly, they peak on when I just finish a night shift. So there's no way I could do two night shifts and then drive all the way up there and then stay up to do it. So I've had to cancel that. But Will, bless him, he does trips to Iceland, doesn't he, to see the Aurora? Yeah. And I think this year is the last year he's going to do it. I think he's oh, either wow. handing it over to someone else or he's stopping now because he's done like over 300 or something ridiculous. And he's got a 100% success rate on seeing the Aurora because mm -hmm. he, he whacks you all in a coach and then he will drive the coach. Well, he won't. He'll make the coach drive two hours if he has to somewhere so that he knows there's a clear part of the sky to actually see it. So I've never heard of anyone getting 100%, but in his speech, that's what he said. So it must be true. He is an Aurora chaser. He's invited me and Frankie to go this year in October. So we're going to go along, be part of the crew, help out. I've never seen the Aurora. So he said this year is going to be one of the best ones because the sun's kind of at its maximum and then it's going to start dwindling after that for 11 years, which is probably why he's probably going to stop because... <laughs> If it's got to its peak and it's done its thing, he probably is like, oh, you know what, I've done my time. We've had a chat with him and we look like we're pretty much booked in as well. So we're going to go as crew, help him out, get people on our coaches, chat to them, help them do it. And then also get to see it ourselves and some of the awesome waterfalls and things that are around there as well. It's really kind of him to invite us. Wow. But yeah, you need to get up to Twice Brood. Two favourite things, stargazing and beer. And I can talk about both of those. Yeah. <laughs> they do some really nice beer. I had, they, they do the Sycamore Gap beer or is it an ale one or the other that's really nice there's one called commodus as well because obviously that's part of a roman 
there's, there's so much to see. Adrian's wall, there's loads of uh, loads of forts. Literally, uh-huh. everything was about five minutes, ten minutes drive. It's just like Rome and history and astronomy and beer <laughs> all put together. It was actually, we're definitely going to go back because there's so much to do. I haven't physically met Will. I've, I'm obviously, I've done the, uh, the cyber meet. But yeah, it'd be good to meet up with Will. And sometime maybe it'd be good if we could get to a Newcastle game as well. So that would be good for both of us. Oh, is he a Newcastle fan as well? He is indeed, uh, I, yeah. I always see your posts. All it ever says is 3-0 to Newcastle or 5-0 to Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been putting too many of them up lately because we haven't been doing too great. But um, <laughs> the ladies team have been doing absolutely fantastic. So I've been supporting the lasses. It's all Newcastle. Doesn't matter who it is. When I first started talking with Will uh, about astronomy and stuff, and uh, and he, he's like, you're a Newcastle fan. I went, yeah. And he said, well, it's very strange for someone that far south to be supporting Newcastle. Yeah. And I said, no, I've been supporting them for years. I mean, I used to make the excuse that when they used to be sub- sponsored by uh, uh, Newcastle Brown Ale, I was saying I had to support the brewery. So... Um, <laughs> It's a good excuse. I like that one. <laughs> I might have to start supporting a team. Who else does alcohol? <laughs> Before we go into the break, I just thought I'd mention something uh, about our Christmas crossover that we do with our sibling podcast, uh, The Garbage Pod. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. As I mentioned at the beginning of that one, it wasn't as big and flamboyant as it normally is because of technical situations and personal situations, but it was a good podcast nonetheless, talking mainly about the Live in the Park event that happens in Aylesbury every August bank holiday. And now, Ross, you've been to a, a few of those, and you have a, a wonderful time because you do Stars in the Park in the evening, don't you? We do, yeah, yeah. And we're doing it this year. I've already got it booked off, ready. Can't let down roof of Aylesbury Town Council. Let's just hope that it isn't going to be like last year where it was an absolute yeah. quagmire at some point. I would say it was my fault, but the last few ones have been all right. But yeah, usually we do solar viewing and chat and have all our scopes out looking at the sun and sunspots and flares and things like that. And we're there all day from sort of, I think it's like, was it 11 till 4 or 5 or something like that? It starts to 12, the actual event. The areas for the community projects and all that kind of stuff open a bit earlier than that. The reason why I wanted to mention it is that we got some absolutely lovely feedback from one of the bands that took part in the event. If you haven't heard those podcasts, what we normally do is we go around the place, we talk to some of the community projects, we talk to some of the bands, we interview some of the bands, and then we play some of their music from the event. And there was a band there this year called Chapter Six, and they got in touch with me just after Christmas saying, did the podcast actually go ahead and is there any links to it? So I said, yes, it did. It went out on Christmas Eve and uh, here is a link to the podcast. And they wrote back to me after they listened to it and said, hi, Mark, this is such a great piece. Thank you so much for doing it. The sound from your handheld recorder is outstanding and the format of having a band interview followed by a live track is very cool. You're a superstar. Best wishes to you, mate. That meant a lot to me. We don't often get a lot of feedback being podcasters. We're in isolation a lot of the time, but when we do get feedback in any shape or form, it is very much appreciated and quite emotional. 
just getting that back meant we're doing something right. And I just thought I'd mention them. Check them out. Chapter 6. They're a cover band and they do some really good stuff. Uh, so we're going to go into a break, as I mentioned earlier. And then when we come back, Ross is going to be telling us what's going on in February in the skies. Good morning. It's T minus 45 minutes until the final countdown commences. In less than one hour, if all goes according to plan, the three members of the Apollo 11 crew will blast off in their... My father's name was Edwin Eugene Aldrin. ...has dreamt of mankind's greatest adventure. I became Buzz. Destination, the moon. We look back at the Earth and watch it get smaller. Oh, it was beautiful. Apollo 11, this is Houston. I've got the morning news here, if you're interested, over. Go ahead, Houston. An Irishman has won the World Porridge Eating Championship by consuming 23 bowls of instant oatmeal. I'd like to enter Aldrin in the oatmeal eating contest next time. He's on his 19th bowl. Roger. Human nature and curiosity is to explore the world around us. And the world around us includes way beyond. Go for landing, over. I got it, go for landing. Roger 1202, we copy it. We're go, St. high, we're go. Okay, engine stop. We copy you down, Eagle. Magnificent ventilation. The next generation of explorers should not ever give up. On canvas with paint in the artist's school, it is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more, and what is in sight? Behold, the star glows bright white. But the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. This is TGP Nominal. So welcome back to TGP Nominal. Now, as I mentioned before the break, we are going into the Sky Guide, which is something that we do pretty much every month apart from last month obviously that's the main reason why ross from uk astronomy is here so ross what's happening in february well planet wise it's not a good month <laughs> starting with a happy point the planets mercury venus and mars they're all huddled together in the morning sky and sadly they're really quite close to the sun so they're going to be rising probably just before the sun but there's not going to be a lot of time to actually spot many of them because it's just not good for them at the moment. Venus is going to be probably the easiest to see. It's rising just after sort of 6am and you've probably got about an hour or so to spot the bright planet before the sun obviously rises and washes her out, the goddess of beauty. So pop out in the morning, really low horizon, you might get to see Venus sitting there. Again, you still can't miss her, she's still stunningly bright. So she's right there. On the other side of our star, we've got Saturn, which is setting around 7pm. 
Again, giving you maybe a couple of hours if you're lucky to spot the ring planet before it sets. Jupiter is higher in our sky, so it's probably the best planet to try and view at the moment compared to all the other ones, although the Earth is pretty much kind of the other side of the Sun in its orbit, so it's not going to be as bright and really that great to look at. You'll still make up the lines and the moons and stuff like that, but it's not really going to be any good until maybe later in the year, probably about another six months when we move around to the other side of the Sun and get closer to it. Uranus <laughs> is not far above Jupiter, so it's kind of just above Jupiter's left, although a telescope is going to be needed to see it. Neptune is in between both the planets, Jupiter and Saturn. It's slightly more closer to Saturn, and it's setting a little, just probably about an hour or so after the ring planet itself. So again, not really great to see. So your best bets are probably Jupiter and uh, Uranus, but they're good enough to see, but they're not, you know, but this is me being picky. I like to see the planets at their best. I've been doing it for 10 years now, so I'm like, I'm only going to look at it when it's at its best. But you still see the ring planet, so you have just got a telescope for Christmas, and you'll see using it through January. Pop out, see if you can find Jupiter there. The moon will be near it later in the month, so it'll help you to find it easier if you can't find it. So it seems that February isn't really a great time for planet hunting, so instead we're going to have to concentrate on some other cool sites to occupy us this month, which there are plenty of, because we've got a whole universe and, you know, galaxy in our sky to look at, and other galaxies. Now, we've got a few good days of good stargazing, without the moon in the way. So it's probably a great time to spot a comet that's up. So this one is 144P Kushida. So that's K-U-S-H-I-D-A. And it's going to be passing through Taurus this month. So passing through the ball, heading towards the ball's eye. So it's heading down towards the star Aldebaran, ball's eye. It's going to be around ninth magnitude. So a reasonably good telescope or some big binoculars should be able to make it out in the sort of V that is the uh, Hades, which is around the area it will be of Taurus. Astrophotography will bring it out really well from what I've read. It's going to start dimming down to about 10th magnitude, so it's going to start dimming by the end of the month, so now's probably the best time to go out and have a look at it, because I think it's going to disappear after a bit. So it's definitely worth having a look. So if we go for dates, the 14th and the 15th, the moon passes Jupiter. So on both these nights, it's going to be on its right-hand side the first night, and then move to the left-hand side of the planet the next night. So it's getting pretty close to uh, Uranus on the 15th. Now, the dim planet will be just to the moon's left, and uh, with a bit of star hopping from the moon, you should be able to spot it with a telescope. The moon might be a little bit bright, it might wash it out a bit, but if you get on Stellarium, you can see where the moon is, Uranus will just be there, and you should just be able to star hop a little bit and find it, fingers crossed. Gonna need a telescope though, sadly, because binoculars just, they won't pick it up. They won't pick it up. So if we move to the 16th, around 8pm, the moon moves up and sits almost perfectly below the Pallades which will look really awesome because it's going to be the moon is sat right there and it's almost going to look like it's got like a halo of blue stars above it. So it'll look really cool. Definitely worth a picture. If uh, You probably might be able to get it with your phone. If you dim it down enough, might be able to bring out the stars above it. But that'll be a really cool thing just to go out and have a look at, just to see the moon with the blue, really bright stars above it. I think it'll be really good. Almost flickering away and twinkling. So the early morning of the 17th, in fact, precisely 12.40 a.m. on the 17th, so remember, you'll probably have to stay up through the 16th to get to the 17th in the morning. You should be able to spot the lunar X and V on the moon. It's an illusion of sunlight that glints off the tips of the craters, covers in sort of shadow. And it's one of the fun things that we can get to look at once in a while. I think it happens every like once a month, every time the moon goes around in orbit in a certain point. So it's just a fun thing to pop out and have a look at, although 12.40am. If you're out looking at other stuff already, have a look, get a picture, looks cool. Put your phone up against the eyepiece. I've done it, I've even my friends done it and got a really good picture of the X and the V across the shadowed part. We move to the 19th, 
3.50pm during the day. So look at the daytime moon and you can see the jeweled handle. It's another example of sunlight glinting off this time the tips of a mountain range. So it's the Jura Mountains. We mention this quite a lot because it is cool and without a doubt someone in the Facebook group will see it or take a picture and go, oh what's this? It looks really cool because it literally does glint like a jeweled handle. So 22nd, Mars and Venus are going to appear very close to each other in the morning sky but you're going to need a low horizon to spot them. As I said, they're quite tough to spot. Binoculars or a scope on that low horizon should be possible. You'll see a tiny little sort of red Mars just below the really bright Venus. They're rising around 6.30am. Just please be very careful because they are quite close to the sun. So have a little look there, but if the sun's peaking up at all in any way, it's not worth the risk. Don't have a look unless you're a professional. 25th. Now this is called the Xeno Steps on the Moon, and they're visible around 8pm. So on the 25th, look at the moon at 8pm, and you're looking for the crater Zeno. So it's Z-E-N-O, and it's kind of around 1 to 2 o'clock area of the moon, on the very, very edge. The shadow just is creeping on that edge, it'll be a near full moon, tiny little shadow creeping on that side of it, on the right hand side, and you can just make out these sort of giant steps on the moon. I think there's three or four of them. So if you look where the crater is, you might have to use a uh, an app. So I use a Moon, I'm sure it's called Moon Globe HD or something like that. There's quite a few you can use. Find Xeno, look around the area, and it actually does look like there's a couple of steps almost kind of going up into the crater. It looks quite cool, right on the very edge. So there's a whole host of objects in the February sky for you to enjoy, most of which are best when the moon is out of the way. So they're the highlights that we were talking about. Now I'm just going to talk about a few things that are in the sky because we haven't got any planets really to look at other than Jupiter and maybe Uranus and Neptune if we're really lucky. Saturn if you've got a low horizon. But the stars at the moment are absolutely stunning. They're really cool. So you've got bright stars like Sirius, the dog star, and that's not really going to be affected by a moon because it's a really bright star in itself. So even if the moon is up, there's no way you can miss this star. It's awesome. If you wait until about 9pm, you'll have an absolute tonne of different brightly colored stars to enjoy just using your eyes. You can use binoculars as well, but just look at the sky and look at them all there and admire them in their different colors. So you've got Sirius. Why so serious? And Canis Major, the big dog. Really bright star, absolutely stunning. You've got Betelgeuse and Orion, which is about to go supernova anytime in the next million years, hopefully tomorrow. And that's a real big sort of orange one, completely different color to the other one. It's actually got a host of bright stars, including the famous belt of three stars in Orion, obviously. Look there with binoculars and you'll see there's actually a lot more than just three. There's a whole ton there. I think there's like 50 to 80 other stars there from what I can remember off by hand. Definitely worth a look because there's so much more there. You've got Capella, the goat star in Auriga, the twins Pollux and Castor, which are the heads of the twins of Gemini, Procyon, one of the two stars that make up Canis Minor, the little dog. It's always a fun favourite because it's just a line between two stars. It's a dog. I like to call it the stick that Canis Major is actually chasing. Now that would be better. That I like. So you've got Procyon, one of the two stars that makes up the stick that Canis Major is chasing. We need to change that. I'm <laughs> going to do that. I think we need a, a petition to turn it into a stick. <laughs> uh, we also spoke about Taurus. So you've got his bright eye, Aldebaran, which is another red star. Then you've got the V shape of the Hades old red stars there that make up its head and then the Pleiades we talked about the blue clusters right there 
there's just tons there's absolute tons to go out and look at so when people sit there and go oh you need a telescope you can't do astronomy without there's so much to look up out there and there's a little challenge as well that i want to uh chuck out there so see if you can find the star that's called the ruby star it's the second reddest star in our sky and it's located between one of taurus's horns and orion's raised arm so in that area, there's a star called the Ruby Star. You can find it on Stellarium, which is an app you can get. So if you want to cheat and have a look there, it's right there. Go out and see if you can find this star, because it's actually one of the reddest in the sky. It's really, really red. It might actually be, you know, I might be mistaken it for Mars. And it's actually a really cool star. Finally, last but not least, seeing as it's the month for lovers, although the original historical meaning of Valentine's has changed in modern times, what was it you said? The patron saint of card makers and florists. <laughs> Valentine's, love it or hate it, who cares? I'm an old romantic, so I thought I should probably mention something called the Heart Nebula. can be found between Perseus and Cassiopeia, two constellations. It's right there. So for those astrophotographers out there, you can capture the Milky Way's heart. Uh. Right, that's enough for that. <laughs> so although the planets aren't in a great place to view... I hope I've given you plenty of other objects you can find, look up and admire in our February skies. Don't forget www.ukastronomy.org. Go to guides on there. All the constellations are up there with maps for you to see that I've designed myself. I'm adding to them all the time when I find new stuff. So there's always something to see no matter what time of year it is and no matter where you are in the UK. Thank you very much for listening. Hockham from UK Astronomy is still with us. Well, I know you've got a couple of things you wanted to talk about. I did, yeah. There's three things that I heard about recently that I thought were quite cool. I'm going to have to talk about the Mars helicopter first, because I'm guessing you probably know a bit more about this. <laughs> <laughs> but it was only meant to do how many flights? Maybe five or something, was it? Five. And yeah, initially it was five. And I think I may have jinxed it, because I was talking with my dad about it, and he said I didn't actually know it existed. And I showed him a couple of the videos of it, and I said it's just about to make its 72nd flight. Yeah. And I think I may have jinxed it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that sort of thing. I ride a motorbike to London and back from Milton Keynes, and I hate it when anyone comes in and goes, oh, you ever had an accident on it? I'm like, why did you say that? Because you know it's going to happen now. It's going to happen on this journey back tonight <laughs> or hope you have a quiet night at work oh great thanks yeah, it's going to be the busiest one ever so yeah didn't say did its rotor blade something happen with one did they or yeah um, i'm not 100 percent sure I, I don't think nasa are 100 percent sure how it happened but the tip of one of the rotor blades broke there's now a jagged edge on it and as you know rotor blades are finely tuned to be able to make flight now it might not be so bad considering the fact they're on mars and the atmosphere is a little bit different well quite a bit different than it is on earth so they are trying to do something to the rotor blades remotely to be able to see if they can get it to do anything um i personally don't think 
it's going to work, but it is still an amazing feat to be able to fly 72 flights. I mean, it's been up on Mars since April 2021, and its first flight was on the 19th of April 2021. So if you fast forward to October the 12th, 2023, it set the ground speed record for anything travelling on Mars. <laughs> And then, unfortunately, on the 25th of January, that's when they had the fatal blow for Percy. Oh, not for Percy itself, for Ingenuity. Percy's still fine. We call it Percy because the rover is actually called Perseverance, and everyone calls it Percy. Isn't that a train as well? well? (laughs) It is in Thomas the Tank Engine, (laughs) yeah. What they were hoping, and this might be handy in the future for any other Mars rovers that might have solar panels, which is pretty much all of them are going to have solar panels on them. If they took another helicopter up there, the dust that you get on the solar panels because of the storms that they have on Mars, and they're quite frequent storms, they might be able to use the helicopter's rotors to actually brush the uh, debris off of the solar panels. Wow, that's quite a, a feat. The hovering a helicopter over a <laughs> over a billion dollar rover to blow the the dust off of the off of the solar panels. Have they heard of Hoover's? <laughs> <laughs> Get Dyson involved. Space Henry. Yeah, yeah, yeah Henry would be good. They have a face and everything. Yeah, he could make it look like an astronaut and everything. That'd be perfect. <laughs> so there you go. It sounds like the Mars helicopter. Sadly, I mean, it's something was going to happen at some point, wasn't it? It's was going to run out of juice or whatever. Or well, yeah. Or, I mean, it's excelled yeah, itself. It's I mean, above and beyond, only to have five flights, which would have taken place all in one year, to survive all the way through from 2021 to 2024, and then just have a, a mishap. The data that that thing must have sent back to the scientists at NASA must be extensive and uh, they've probably got years and years of work ahead of them because of this data. Next it's a submarine apparently. Uh, yeah, going to uh, some of the water-based places. Uh, Europa is next on the cards and actually Alan Stern who was the chief investigator for the New Horizon mission that took us to Pluto and beyond is actually involved in that project as well. Oh, what isn't he involved in? He's, he's amazing. Alan, Alan Stern is one of my heroes. Speaking of going into space, apparently they uh, they lost some tomatoes on the space station. As you do. It's actually, it's actually a friend at work told me about this. He's like, did you hear about the tomato that went missing? I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, apparently it went missing. I just I, I had a little look up of it. Apparently two went missing. And they, uh, they figured the fruit had actually desiccated itself to the point where someone just mistook it for trash and threw it away. And I said, but somehow the tomatoes were able to survive in a bag for nearly a year before other space station crew members found them, according to NASA. Wow. That's what it says. <laughs> so <laughs> they lost two tomatoes for a year on the space station somewhere, and then they were still, well, edible, maybe. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me, because <laughs> there are a lot of living things that are not human on the space station and we're not talking about um, insects or things like that we're talking about things like mould because um, this this is going to sound disgusting when you are uh, doing your 
natural things that you do in space, i.e. probably brushing your teeth or whatever. There might be certain things that might end up on the wall because it floats. And there may be some bacteria and mould and things that have come from that over the years. So is that the real reason they're uh, decommissioning the ISS? (laughs) Because of hygiene? (laughs) There's lots of different things to do with hygiene. You you really need to listen to one of our past podcasts when we spoke to Richard Garriott, the private astronaut, when he was talking about how to use the facilities, shall we say, in space, because it is an experience. (laughs) So they could do that as one of the, uh, was it the red letter days? (laughs) (laughs) astronaut toilet experience well the way he put it imagine a tube of toothpaste now when you squeeze a tube of toothpaste on earth the toothpaste comes out of the tube breaks off and goes into the sink in space if you squeeze the toothpaste it keeps coming and coming and coming as more as you squeeze it the more the toothpaste comes out of the tube and just keeps on going and going and going. It doesn't break off. Yeah, I can see where you're going with this. Imagine that with the toilet situation. <laughs> oh, we got to stay on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> so technically, you could lift off the toilet. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm guessing yes, you need you a seatbelt to keep you down then, I'm guessing, or something like that. Well, they basically do because they sleep vertically. Yeah. In space, they have these special sleeping bags that have armholes in them. So your arms can drift up when you're asleep, but you are actually strapped in to your sleeping bag, which is on the wall. It's like something out of Aliens. (laughs) (laughs) Space zombies, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, talking about the food and things, I mean, over the years, they actually made an oven that uh, they took into space, and they, they were made... I can't remember whether they made these special kind of cookies that didn't crumble. They made a special kind of dough that doesn't crumble when it's baked because that's the last thing you need on a spacecraft is crumbs getting into anything. Well, it's bad enough crumbs in your bed, let alone. Hence why they don't have sandwiches in space, but they do have wraps because wraps do not crumble. Where you would have peanut butter and jam or jelly, as they call it in America, sandwiches, you have peanut butter and jam in a wrap. Oh no, it's horrible. <laughs> you want a bit of like battered chicken in there as well, or crispy chicken, but you can't because that's crumbs. Uh, the, there are ways round things. I mean, food has got a lot better over the years. It's not all these pouches and stuff like they used to be. When Tim Peake went up there, they got um, Heston Blumenthal involved with a menu because your taste buds are different in space. You don't taste things as well as you do on Earth, so they have to highly flavour things in space. And if you tasted exactly the same product when you get back to Earth, it probably tastes absolutely foul. They wanted to make you know, bacon that tasted overly salty to make it taste better when you're up there, that kind of thing. Tim was trying to get the perfect cup of tea. <laughs> of course he was. Typical British yeah. way of looking at things. Good old Britain. <laughs> the Italians actually had a special coffee machine because they hated the American coffee that was up <laughs> there. They actually had a machine called the ISS Espresso. Oh, that's clever. And it was made by Lavazza, the, the, the coffee manufacturers. But they had these special cups, zero-gravity cups, which was a very odd thing. 
So all these billions going up into space to do <laughs> experiments to further the human race, and it's cup of tea and coffee. <laughs> How to make the best one. Although my favourite thing that I ever saw on the space station, they actually had a 3D printer sent up there, and there was something they needed to fix, and they couldn't because they didn't have the right kind of wrench to be able to do it. So somebody actually sent up the 3D design for this wrench, and they... 3D printed it up on the space station and actually fixed the thing that they were supposed to be fixing. And there is the future. I thought that was amazing. The fact that they could actually make parts for whatever you're floating around in up there, you wouldn't need to take stuff of any weight because you can build it whilst you're there. Yeah. They're talking about the spaceships doing it, aren't they? Building their own parts with 3D printers when they break uh, yeah. to go yeah. beyond the universe they've made a kind of a, a satellite probe thing designing it so that it could go to other satellites and fix things whilst they're there which would be great they're also talking about for example if they went to the moon using the regolith uh, or the soil on the moon's surface to actually make a kind of a cement type stuff to make habitation Aren't they using astronauts' Wii to do that? <laughs> I heard they were going to break that down to something to use it to make their homes. Whoops. <laughs> they already need the urine to make water. There you go. That might sound disgusting to most people that most of the, the water on board the International Space Station is recycled from water that's actually come out of your system. But what you've got to remember is we already do it on this planet anyway. The majority of the water that comes out of the out of your tap is probably recycled from other water that's probably come out of your system and flushed away and cleaned out and uh, you're, you're probably drinking it anyway. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> that is all I have to say on the matters. <laughs> <laughs> I had to say it. It's the truth, the truth. Facts are facts. <laughs> last little tiny bit I've got which I'll probably say we should probably talk about next podcast is that apparently they found an asteroid flying around the earth in orbit that they reckon mm-hmm. was part of the moon that does not surprise me it's, what's it? I think it, I've got the name here it's like Camo Oaliwa or something like that but from the stuff I've read they reckon something hit the moon which we know has because it's <laughs> peppered all over it a couple of years ago wasn't there video footage of something yeah there's a new one hitting wasn't there? the moon yeah. Found on Mars as well. I remember they got a picture of a Mars one or a little mm. uh, rock. Or should I say, don't call them rocks in space, do you? Call them asteroids or <laughs> meteorites. Hit Mars and it made a whole... They could tell they actually used the data from the pictures to see what was underneath. Because it's all different mm-hmm. coloured. So yeah, so they reckon something hit the moon at some point and we now have an asteroid. Or we did, we probably have had it the whole time. We just discovered it. It's probably more as well, to be fair. Going around us, which could be dangerous. If it comes towards us. So actually going around us, that is part of the moon. I mean, that's quite cool. There's like a little mini moon moon flying around with us. Some of these asteroids and bits of rock that have uh, landed on Earth, I mean, some of those have been examined and some of it they think might have come from Mars. Yeah, I've seen that. You can buy a tiny bit. It's literally like a tiny dust grain of red. And I think it's about 50 quid. (laughs) <laughs> 70 quid for this tiny bit because it was Mars a bit of Mars it's, it's just the oxidisation isn't mm. it basically to be fair you could get some rusty old nails and um, and, and, and dust it off and well, say I'm hey, not sure it's been done <laughs> 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 yeah here's an asteroid in the shape of a nail 
<laughs> just scrape the rust off into a plastic bag and say, yeah, there's there a go. bit of Mars there. 100 quid for that, please. <laughs> Make sure it's certified, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. <laughs> Before you buy it off of Google or Amazon or whatever it is. Yes, you need a, a certificate of authenticity. Not an easy word to say. No. And that <laughs> is all I have to talk about this month, luckily. <laughs> Uh, have you got any anything coming up before we go? Loads. <laughs> this month we've got a whole planetarium that's sold out in a day in uh, Friars Square in Aylesbury. Mm-hmm. So I can't remember the date for that. It's next week. I know that because my wife's been busy sorting out emails for everyone. So I think we did, I think it's five or six shows we're doing. So we're doing like wow. three videos. Then we're doing three of my talks. And then the very last show is accessible. So so we can get wheelchairs and that sort of scooters and things like that in so that they can have a bit more room. It's nice for them to get their own space so they can sit there and enjoy the show. Without lots of kids screaming. That'll be my job. I'll deal with all the 50 kids per time. Yeah, so that's really cool. Sold out in one day. It was lovely. And uh, I'm going to be a very busy man <laughs> on that day. Got to get it in there, get it all set up, have it all ready. And then literally back-to-back talks. Although I have got a lunch break, which is good. And as we know, there's some really good places to eat in Aylesbury. There's a nice bagel shop, literally. A stone's throw, because we did the moon day there, didn't we? Yeah. And actually, actually, where you did the moon day talks is actually... Oh, it's yeah, now. yeah. It's yes. I t- <laughs> you know, I've been in there. And I totally forgot because it was it was a mankind, wasn't it? Yeah, and it yeah. closed down. Is it the New York Deli or something has moved into where actually the exact spot where you did the talks on Monday? Uh, do you know what? I never put that together. What am I <laughs> so yeah, I'll definitely be going in there for lunch because they're awesome. So yeah, we're looking forward to that. We've got Stowe House again as well, February. Uh, what else have I got? I've got two. You know, we do Stowe House. We've got um, the sister school, Swanbourne. Got two stargazing nights with them. So that's literally, I've taken a tour off work because it's, oh no, the tour's for March and February. So February, I've taken a tour off to fit all of this in. <laughs> and then March, the next month, I've taken another one off because it's obviously uh, Science Week in schools. And it's always a certain week of March. And I know I have to take that tour off of work because suddenly all the schools in about January start going, oh, can we have your planetarium? Oh, can you do a talk here? Oh, can you do this? Or can you do that? So I think I'm doing two, three or four events with schools as well. So then I'm going to need a, a break. <laughs> so maybe, what, January, February, March, April. April I can chill out and enjoy some Easter eggs. But you know me, I love it. I love being busy and it's, you know. Oh, yes. It's, it's good fun. I must admit, I was really nervous about doing the Moon Day stuff, but... I can't remember if it's six hours, eight hours, something like that. Yeah. It went very quickly. Yeah, it was all day, wasn't it? But yeah, before you know it, it's lunchtime. Before you know it, you've only eaten half your sandwich and you're going home. <laughs> yep. But it was such good fun. And uh, one of the, the things that will always stick with me about that event was that I was talking to a family and there was three generations of family, some of which actually remember the moon landings obviously the other two generations didn't and to be talking to the three of them together was just oh it was great well hopefully this will be just as it's obviously not as big an affair (laughs) because it's not like you know the anniversary of landing on the moon but they're gonna have some crafts and stuff around the planetarium as well for people to do so i know they've got uh, they've got someone in to do a load of stuff there for them to do as well so should be a good day should be fun i'll probably have no voice by the end of it but (laughs) <laughs> you know, go home, have a beer, and hopefully get some nice feedback. And hopefully, a lot of people have enjoyed it. And it's, it's we're doing it for free 
as part of our 10 year anniversary so you know you've got to give back haven't you if people have helped us get the planetarium least we can do is go and actually show them what it is and how it works and inspire them to maybe look up and see Jupiter that is in conjunction with uh, Alsbury Town Council isn't it yes yeah they're helping us in partnership and then obviously all the funders that helped us get the planetarium which there's quite a few so I can't name them all but <laughs> they're all on our website and they all helped us get it and yeah we've been we got it last May didn't we so not even a year yet and yeah I haven't got to see it yet, so... <laughs> well, we'll be there in your hometown. Awesome. Spanhead Productions are a small, independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So, Ross, it's been another packed show, and uh, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for sharing it with me. It's always nice to chat to you about stuff and learn. Yeah, as I say, it's been a while because the last time we did one of these together was in November, and that was good fun because the last time you was um, trying out different beers oh, at the same it? time. Oh, yeah, I've got to remember, I forgot. Someone asked me about the Blue Moon beer because oh, you yeah. said to have a bit of orange with it. That's right. And they asked me how was it, and I didn't have it. I said I was going to the shop, didn't I, to get some orange for it at the end of the show. Yeah, yeah that's and right. And I didn't yeah. because I'd already drunk it. <laughs> but I went out again and bought another one just to try because you've got to because you know science and all that so got a bit of orange lovely it actually does go really well with a slice of orange doesn't it really well because it's a wheat beer it's got something to do with the wheat and the orange has some kind of chemical reaction um, I'm not 100% sure how that works, but uh, apparently it does. It was good. So, I, I know when I put it in the Facebook group a couple of times, some people have said they really don't like it. <laughs> it's horrible. So, I'd advise them, try a bit of orange. Just see. See if that will change your mind. Yeah, well, whenever you buy it in a pub, it always comes with a slice of orange. Or it should do, put it that way. <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully next month, more talk about the planetarium and how it went <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> if it went well if not i'm just going to say nothing <laughs> so that just leaves me with one thing left to say and it's what i say every month and that is take care one and all thanks for listening and we'll speak to you again real soon clear skies guys and remember there's a billion worlds in your back garden well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and TuneIn. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.